Oh, Aristocats, ils sont toujours, même quand ils font un petit tour, toujours précieux là où ils vont. Ils sont fiers de l'éducation, dédaignant les ruelles, ils préfèrent les bas aux poubelles, dans son canton, de trop bougelles, les castes oh, poids! <laughs> so are those the regular French words, except for maybe where I heard you say pardon cast? <laughs> Yes, those are just the straight up French lyrics. I could have really tried to go all out, but I, it was hard enough learning to sing the song. I bet. Um, and I just jammed. Uh, there's uh, the, the last line of the song originally of, of that part says uh, Le Chat de Gouttière, <laughs> which is the gutter cats, the alley cats. But yeah. instead I said Le Cast de Podier, which is nothing. <laughs> yes. Fun fact that I learned while spending uh, 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 time, a lot of time, too much time working on this. <laughs> so for anyone who doesn't know how French works, uh, <laughs> unlike English, you can't just add new words to French officially. Like with English, we can verb nouns. We can jam words together to make yep. new words. Yep. Where this is this is what I think is the great strength of English. And also why it's really, really annoying for non-English speakers to learn <laughs> right. is because it is a living mishmash. You just cram stuff together and you make new words. Right. French is, uh, France is very pretentious oh, and very protective <laughs> of the French language. Um, and so there's an organization, part of the French government called the Academy Française, which was established in 1635 by none other the noted Three Musketeers villain, Cardinal Richelieu. <laughs> the Academy, and the Academy Francaise, the you know Academy of French, basically, or French Academy, is still part of the French government, and their job is just to, like, deliberate over proper French grammar and words. Its members are known as the Immortals, <laughs> which is a polite way of saying they are all old skeletons. <laughs> They are all 90 plus years old, I'm sure. And they're the worst, you know, like yeah. that's that's the vibe of the French Academy. Well, they're trying to keep the language from never changing. Yeah, they're tr let's let's just, you know, say it. They're trying to keep the language pure, which uh -huh. is a weird goal. Yeah. And so what happens is when there is a new thing invented, usually a new piece of technology or something like that. Everyone just starts using the English word because French people need a way to refer to, for example, podcasts. <laughs> and so they use the word that exists. They just start going podcast <laughs> or something like that, right? Yeah. I don't know exactly how French people pronounce it, but they just say podcast. Uh, a famous example of this is with email, where the actual French word used for it is email. Mm -hmm. But the French Academy, the immortals, they, you know, come out of their crypts <laughs> <laughs> And they, the, the reason, the actual reason they're called the Immortals and also the actual reason they're super old is because they can't ever be fired. <laughs> <laughs> so it is, you know, not unlike many areas of American government, it is just the oldest, most senile people we can find. So anyway, the olds, you know, they come out of their cribs and they start debating what the word should be. Right, right. You know, looking at all of the great traditions of French. And then they finally announced that, like, the new word for email is courriel. Um, and that is the official word and everyone has to use it from now on. At which point, French speakers have been using the word email for half a decade. Yeah. 
And so they keep using that, um, except maybe in the most formal communication. So which email is not a formal communication, <laughs> right? So here's what I found out uh-huh, uh, uh-huh. about the official French word for podcast. Yeah, it was decided last year, <laughs> May 2020. It took them to get to the word for podcast. Mm-hmm. And as though parodying themselves, the word that the official so actually, technically, this wasn't the, the French Academy. This was the um, Commission for the Enrichment of French Language, which is like a spinoff of the French Academy <laughs> that I, you know, but whatever. But the word they have picked is audio à la demande. Audio on demand. <laughs> audio à la demande. <laughs> so not only are they... Many years too late Mm -hmm. for the word podcast, Mm -hmm. maybe a full decade too late. Yeah. But they've also picked something, you know, that is uh, 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 seven syllables long. Yeah. (laughs) The most inconvenient word possible. Audio a la demande. (laughs) Anyway, so I didn't try to squeeze that into the song because (laughs) I doubt even a French person would would know what that is. (laughs) Anyway. This is so much more interesting than talking about the film, The Aristocats. But let's do it anyway. (laughs) Yeah. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Me, Mom, and the Mouse, a podcast about the joy of watching cartoons with your family. We're watching every film in the Disney animated canon and talking about how it was made, what it means, and why we love it or don't. And when I say it's a podcast about the joy of watching cartoons, I, of course, mean it's an audio a la demande about the joy of watching cartoons. (laughs) You just like saying that one, don't you? (laughs) My name is Isaac Coleman, and I'm joined, as always, by my mother, Rue Coleman. (laughs) Hello, Isaac. This is, of course, our podcast about international languages. Mm hmm. Uh, And we want to give a special shout out to our editor, Brad Murray at Oak Studios. Thank you for all of the work that you do, Brad. Thank you very much. Of course, his full name is Abraham DeLacy, Giuseppe (laughs) Casey, Thomas O'Murray, Brad Murray, the uh, alley editor. (laughs) This week on the program, we are starting a brand new era. Yeah. The Bronze Era, sometimes called the Garbage Era, unfortunately. (laughs) With 1970s The Aristocats, directed by Wolfgang Reitherman. He's back. He's back. Is this his last one? I did not check that. No, he would do Robin Hood, uh, Many Adventures of Winnie the Pooh, Rescuers, and Fox and the Hound. So we're going to be with we're going to be with Wooly Reitherman for a while. Yeah. So the Bronze Era. Mm-hmm. We're starting it. The Bronze Era is... I mean, really what it is, is it's the era of Disney animated films after Walt's death. Yeah. Where they tried a lot of different things. Where they tried a lot of different things. Sometimes, again, this is called the garbage era, which I think is totally unfair. Yeah, they're not all garbage. Yeah. And I mean, like pound for pound, these movies are better than the wartime era, right? I mean, if you're (laughs) going to. Yeah, pick one. Um, And sometimes it's also split into like the Bronze Era Light Side and the Bronze Era Dark Age (laughs) with the split. I can't remember where the split is. I mean, where do you split this? Or I guess probably Aristocats, Robin Hood, Way the Pooh, Rescuers are the light side. I guess. And then the Dark Age is Fox and the Hound, Black Cauldron, Great Mouse Detective, Oliver and Company. Yeah. 
But Grace, great mass detective rules. So that's dumb. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, this is before the Renaissance era, which, of course, we'll talk about, which starts with Little Mermaid in 89, which Mm -hmm. is where Disney gets not only like consistently good, at least in most people's minds, but it's really where they invent the Disney formula. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that really, to me, is what the Bronze Era is, is we haven't cracked the Disney formula yet. The Disney (laughs) formula will be used in the Renaissance era intermittently throughout the experimental era and then come back in the revival era and thus far never leave. And we've just, all of these movies are going to be the exact same thing, but they'll be pretty fine. It's like a McDonald's hamburger. The bronze era, sometimes you get like the best burger you've ever eaten. And sometimes they hand you like a, a, you know, chunk of wood in between two bricks. And they're like, (laughs) is this a burger? And you're like, I don't think so. I don't think that's what this is. Uh, In that metaphor, the bricks are the fox and the hound, I guess. I don't know, whatever. But the Aristocats, Mom, what does this movie specifically mean to you? Not a whole lot. (laughs) I don't remember watching it very many times before we watched it this week. I had at least watched it, I think, a couple times. Definitely once, maybe twice before. I, we didn't ever own it that when I was growing up, as far as I know. I'm pretty sure I would have seen it at my grandparents' house or something, because I know they owned all of them. I think we had the, all the songs on one, of, one or more of our collections of Disney music, because we had some of those, you know, multi-disc CD collections of, you know, all the Disney songs. Well, not all, but a lot. And I'm pretty sure we had the music on that because I felt like I was more familiar with the songs than I expected I would be. This is one of the movies that my mom got to see in the theater when it was new, but she never really loved it. (laughs) She said it was merely okay. And watching it this time, I felt like even the parts that are pretty good. Whenever I watch this movie, I feel like I've seen this done better in a different Disney movie. Yeah. <laughs> and not just in ones before. Um, we'll get to it when we talk about Robin Hood, but they bring back a lot of the actors for Robin Hood to do similar characters in some cases. And when I'm hearing their voices in this movie, I just can't help but think they did it better next time in Robin Hood. <laughs> Right. I mean, Lafayette and uh, uh, Napoleon Napoleon are just less funny versions of the Sheriff of Nottingham and Trigger. Yeah. Played by the same character or the same actors, I believe. Yeah. And the same with the, the two geese, Amelia and Abigail. That's the same actresses who voice Lady Cluck and Maid Marian. Wow. Yeah. And <laughs> uh, once again, much better. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's true that the benefit of hindsight Knowing that there's quite a good movie coming next week does no favors to this. It's true. Pretty bad movie. Yeah, I think. I don't know. I feel like it's less bad and more mediocre. (laughs) Not good. (laughs) Goodn't. I don't think it's terrible. I just think it if it was if it was if there wasn't Robin Hood, we'd probably like it better. Maybe. But I think you'd probably have to get rid of 101 Dalmatians, Lady and the Tramp, and Robin Hood for this movie to be good. <laughs> yeah, and maybe some <laughs> other good movies. Uh, the Aristocats, also never a movie that uh, stuck with me. It did have a clamshell, but we did not own it. Because no. It's the Aristocats. I mean, it's... 
There's no need. I know I've seen it. Weirdly, the strongest memory I have of seeing it was in synagogue. Huh. Uh, one time we didn't watch this in, you know, Shabbat school because, you know, for those of you who may have been raised Christian in Sunday school where the teacher might just put a movie on and leave you be. No, no, no. In Shabbat mm-hmm. school, at least in our Shabbat school, you were going to have to debate Torah at every level. <laughs> this is not a movie watching type class. But uh, in the in the luncheon afterwards, um, you know, some t- uh, at least once we saw the Aristocats and I feel like for some reason it was around. Definitely no reason for it to be a movie yeah. that you watch in synagogue. Well, they just had a whole bunch of movies there that the kids would go pop on during the lunchtime. Yeah, most were probably better. I never really cared for this one, but I agree with you that like I remember the songs because mm-hmm. the songs are mostly pretty good. Yeah, I will say, though, I was talking about this movie with my girlfriend last night because, you know, I was like, oh, tomorrow I'm going to be recording the Aristocats. Yeah. And she was like, oh, I really liked that one. Huh. And like was really fond of it. And I was like, why is there Aristocats? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and she was like, well, the little kittens play piano and it's cute. <laughs> it is cute. It is a very fair point. But it also we then were talking about there aren't a lot of animated movies about cats. Mm-hmm. Weirdly. Yeah, like obviously true. Disney has the great dog movies. Yeah. And like. Oliver and company, the main character is a cat, but otherwise it's all dogs. Yeah. Bolt has one cat, but that's it. Mm-hmm. You know, the Disney canon. I was looking it up. I think by default, this is the best <laughs> animated movie about cats. Yeah. I can't think of it. I can't think of anything else. Mm-hmm. But the other thing is that it talking to her about it made me realize that, you know, the way we're watching these movies is not how most people are going to watch them. Right. When you watch this movie, having just seen Lady and the Tramp in 101 Dalmatians, it does it no favors. For sure. Those are the two it's really intentionally ripping off. Obviously, can't rip off Robin Hood. It's from the future. That's not how time works. Correct. But I feel like they nailed it better in Robin Hood. But I also wondered if this one would hold up better or if there would be more love for it if that was the one we had owned instead, right? If we had owned Aristocats and not Robin Hood and Aristocats is the one we had seen a ton, would we feel more about Robin Hood like it was being the copycat and this one is better? I'm not sure because neither of us has that experience. Both of us were raised having Robin Hood (laughs) and listening and you know, I, I don't want to talk about it too much, save it for next week. But so I wondered if that if you were raised with Aristocats is what you have, would you love it more? I wonder. It's possible. I mean, I, I hope, you know, we always try to be honest and mm-hmm. be like the ones that we like tend to be the ones we have nostalgia for. <laughs> but this movie is so slow and so boring. Mm-hmm. And Robin Hood I mean, we'll watch it again. It has been a little while since I've seen it. Yeah. But it has a lot of energy. Mm -hmm. I can't think of too many moments in that that slowed down. And the other thing is, like, I don't know. I think about, like, Alice in Wonderland, which neither of us had a lot of nostalgia for. I was going in expecting to dislike. And we come Mm -hmm. out like, wow, that movie really showed us. Yeah. I mean, when we watched this thing, like, I don't know. I I'm a, I'm ready to give these movies a shot. I yeah. always want to like a Disney yeah. movie. 
it just, and it even kind of had me at the beginning and it just totally lost me. <laughs> so I don't know. I, I am definitely team the Aristocats is actually bad. But yeah. I do think, again, you know, if this is the only Disney movie you're watching, like with a year on either side, mm-hmm. you'll like it a lot more than if you've just watched the better version. Of Very it. true. Or if you're about to watch the better version of certain parts of it, like either way, coming <laughs> and going. We got stuff that's better than the Aristocats. Yeah. Which, yeah, I really did not enjoy rewatching at all. I For me, this is this is pretty close to the bottom, I think, of the movies we've watched <laughs> thus far, in, in my personal opinion. Yeah. Although, you know, it has some stuff. It has some stuff. So let's talk about the background to it. Yes. So obviously, again, the big cloud hanging over this movie is that Walt Disney is dead. Can Disney make a movie without him? Mm -hmm. And the involvement of Disney in this movie is disputed to a certain extent. Wikipedia gives him a lot more credit than most of the other sources I read. He definitely kind of originated the idea by suggesting that Harry Title and Tom McGowan find some animal stories to adapt as a two part live action episode for his wonderful world of color TV show. Uh huh. They suggested the book, the Aristocats, which Tom McGowan co-wrote, which was based on apparently a real event, although it seems to be apocryphal. Supposedly there was a real event that in the 1910s, a French woman left all her wealth to her cats. Yeah. But there Historians can't find any evidence of this now. Mm -hmm. So again, it's probably apocryphal, but nominally based on a true story. And so they uh, they they took this uh, children's book (laughs) and this idea and they turn it into a story treatment. And Walt goes, hey, this rather than doing this as this live action episode, maybe we should this should be our next animated movie. Um, And then he died. And he may or may not have also uh, suggested that Phil Harris voiced Thomas O'Malley and also assigned Ken Anderson to work on it in some capacity. Mm -hmm. But really, I mean, either way, he originated the project and then uh, left this earth. And a lot of the making of this movie doesn't seem to be really troubled production, but there's... There's a lot of people who complained about executive meddling and left shortly after this. Most notably, the Sherman brothers hated working on this movie and left after it. But I couldn't find too many details about what that executive meddling was. And I think, again, a lot of that comes down to like marketing Mm -hmm. Disney at the time. You know, they wanted to project strength, right? Very much so. And they wanted to be like, you know, everything's going great without Walt. But this movie does, again, it's such a ripoff. Yeah. Of Lady and the Tramp and 101 Dalmatians, which were their two most successful movies thus far. Right. And so I think that, I mean, of the last era, I should say. You know, the more recent ones. Yeah, I think Snow White is still probably one of the most successful at this time, but whatever. Big deals and big recent hits. And so, of course, it's like, well, we did two dog movies. Let's do a cat movie. And what should the story be? Uh, The same thing, but worse. Great. (laughs) Mash them both together. This movie, to a certain extent, reeks of executive meddling. But I also think 
it seems like Wolfgang Reitherman, once he joined to direct, he apparently brought in a lot of the it, it was going to be more of a different type of movie. And he was the one who really came in and was like, no, this should be more like 101 Dalmatians. The original story was apparently more emotional and it's it was about Duchess trying to find people to adopt her kittens. And he was the one who was like, no, let's turn this into an adventure comedy, apparently. Yeah. Ken Anderson, very important. The, of course, lead of uh, 101 Dalmatians, yeah. the main guy responsible for that, was heavily involved in this as well. He was involved a lot with the story, and uh, I think he was more or less the art director. As mentioned, the Shermans sort of came back to do music, mm -hmm. but... Most of their songs were not used. Yeah. Um, they also brought back previously fired Terry Gilkison to do a song for Phil Harris because they're like, well, in the last one, he did Bare Necessities for Phil Harris, and that's the most popular song <laughs> of all time now. So they threw out the Sherman Brothers song called My Way's the Highway and had him come in and uh, compose Thomas O'Malley Cat. Mm hmm. George Bruns comes back for the score once again. Yeah. Uh, he drew on his background with jazz bands and uh, wanted to feature the musette, which is an accordion-like instrument that mm -hmm. gives it that French flavor. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, of course, the Sherman brothers were the ones who really wanted Marie Chevalier to come in and sing the so-so title song. Uh, so much so that Richard Sherman recorded a demo where he imitated Chevalier and uh, sent it to him to encourage him to come out of retirement just to sing this again so-so song. Marie Chevalier, <laughs> for anyone who doesn't know, uh, extremely famous, extremely popular French singer of, not really of the time, of somewhat before the time. He actually died two years after this movie came out. Yeah. And so it was a big deal to get him back. I, and again, I don't think the song is that good. Uh, the Sherman Brothers also composed a big show-stopping number called the jazz hot. <laughs> okay. And instead they used everybody wants to be a cat composed by Floyd Huddleston and Al Rinker. And they, uh, another song that the Shermans wrote that got cut out was a villain song for Edgar. That was also going to feature his assistant Elmira, who is cut out of the movie. Yeah. So then of course they cut the song. <laughs> there were so many changes made for this thing that I found a poster that I sent to you. Yeah. Where, the character who is then named, and I am sorry to say this, Oriental Cat. Yeah. Makes it into the final movie as Shun Gone was going to be the band leader for the Jazz Cats. <laughs> I so even a poster that yeah. said that I found. Which is weird because, of course, then the band leader is Scatman. Or, sorry, not Scat. Scatman Crothers well, is the one who voices it, but it's Scat Cat. Yes, and that's <laughs> important as well. They... They kind of always had this vision of this big jazz number. Mm -hmm. uh, again, the jazz hot. <laughs> okay. And uh, originally they were going to get somebody who at that time was working with Disney, uh, was doing some live shows in Disneyland. The one and only not considered for Jungle Book, Louis Armstrong. Mm -hmm. And uh, the cat was going to be called Satchmo Cat because <laughs> I assume I don't have to explain Louis Armstrong to anyone listening, but maybe for... We have children listening, extremely famous trumpet player and jazz musician, one of the greatest of all time and known as Satchmo. Yes. So when they replaced 
Louis Armstrong Satchmo with uh, who apparently got sick and was unable to record the dialogue when they needed him to. Mm-hmm. So they, he got replaced with the also great Scatman Crothers. So then they changed it from Satchmo Cat to Scat Cat. And Crothers says and Disney disputes. And frankly, I trust him over them every time and twice <laughs> on Sundays. Uh, Scatman Crothers says that he was told to sound as much like Louis Armstrong as possible. Mm hmm. And, and to imitate him, uh, which I think he's clearly doing. And the this Scat Cat himself, the design, because, you know, they couldn't redo the animation, also still looks like Louis Armstrong, including the famous tooth gap, mm-hmm. the way he puffs out his cheeks when he plays the trumpet. Yep. They got uh, Ava Gabor as Duchess. Yes. Uh, how do you explain Ava Gabor? I mean, she's a very famous French actress and businesswoman and singer and socialite is what wikipedia calls her mm-hmm. kind of these days we would say she was famous for being famous yeah uh, along with her and sisters also, you said french they they're hungarian thank you what i guess just because she has a french accent in this and i'm a child and i assume that nobody <laughs> can do an accent Yes, not yes. not French at all in the slightest. Yes. I just say words. But uh, in in both this and the Rescuers and Rescuers Down Under, in those she voices Miss Bianca in mm-hmm. a performance that's much better than this one. Uh, also, yeah. French accent there. So yeah. I guess that's why I was confused because that's that's mostly what I know her for. Phil Harris is back, and there's really you know he's Phil Harrising it up. Yeah, he is Phil Harrising it up. They let him improv his dialogue again. He basically, you know, they were like, you were the big hit of the Jungle Book. Please come <laughs> back. And he was like, I love doing the Jungle Book. I'll happily come back. So, <laughs> it was, you know, it, it was really no question. Yeah. Any other notable actors we ever? T- I mean, I don't feel the need to talk about Sterling Holloway again. <laughs> I suppose we should talk about one of the few performances in the movie I really like other than Phil Harris. Mm-hmm. I think I don't know. Uh, but Roderick A. Roddy Maud Roxby. <laughs> who is Edgar the Butler. Uh, he was an English actor who uh, has done a few notable things. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was in some large movies, usually not in large parts. He also was in a pre-Monty Python series with Michael Palin and Terry Jones. <laughs> so, you know, he's <laughs> he's a not very famous part of a lot of very famous things. <laughs> and I just love, again... Roderick A. Roddy Maud Roxby. Like, <laughs> you listen to his voice and you're like, yeah, that's his name. Mm-hmm, Makes mm-hmm. perfect sense to me. This is also the first film appearance of Paul Winchell, who let's do him a service and talk about him when he plays Tigger, mm-hmm, not mm-hmm. in his role in this movie. Mm-hmm. <sighs> we have a little more Bill Thompson as Uncle Waldo. Very brief role. This was his last role. Uh, and I believe this is also Sterling Holloway's last role in a Disney film. Mm-hmm. I think so. I mean, obviously there's Winnie the Pooh, but a lot of those were actually made before this. Right, right. But but some of it was made after. So that is by any reasonable measure his last one. But this is his last one before that. Mm-hmm. It's it's sad. We're, we're seeing a lot of these people go. And that is something I should say. At this point, the average time the Disney animators had spent with the company, any given Disney animator, the average time was 25 years. Wow. So I feel like, again, some of it maybe is executive meddling. And of course, this is something we see throughout the Bronze Era is this panic over what would Walt do? We can't have any new ideas. Yeah. We have to just try to keep doing what was successful before because 
good lord, we need to be successful. And during this era, not yet, not by the time of the Aristocats, but Disney will slide into almost bankruptcy Mm -hmm. um, and then be saved by the Renaissance. But, uh, you know, so I, I think there is some of that. There's some like executive fright. But I also do think that just like a lot of the animators at this time, and again, Wolfgang Reitherman and the Nine Old Men, they're they're like set in their ways. They feel like they just know how to make a good movie and they just want to kind of do what they've done. And so I think that's why this movie feels so default. (laughs) This is kind of the Disney formula of its time, right? It's like the Disney formula is 101 Dalmatians or again, especially Lady and the Tramp. Uh, The last thing that's interesting about the Aristocats was that it was the first Disney animated film not produced under the Hayes Code. Hmm. Now, the Hayes Code is something that has interested me since high school, and I've been like studying it (laughs) because I think it is such a like linchpin for American culture in general, even though it technically only affected film. Like it's so indicative of an American approach to so many things. But the Hayes Code was uh, actual government censorship, not just censorship today, which is when you say something dumb and teens on Twitter make fun of you for it, but actual proper <laughs> government censorship that was in place from 1934 to 1968. And it spelled out what was acceptable and unacceptable. And, you know, a lot of it was incredibly I mean, censorship is bad, first of all. <laughs> Hopefully we can all agree. But also it was like incredibly problematic. You know, it was basically you can't show Poor people or brown people or gay people or any any kind of people who deviate from the norm in any way or, you know, and and, uh, as well as just, you know, ridiculous limits on violence and sex and everything Mm -hmm. else. And it was a bad idea and also kind of unenforceable after a certain point because movies just figured out how to get around the letter of the law. So, like, there are incredibly violent Hayes Code gangster films But at the end, the main gangster dies. And so because he got comeuppance for his gangstering, it's okay. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) So it it was a lot of stuff like that. And they realized that it just censorship in addition to being bad just doesn't work. And also there was more money to be made if they got rid of it, which is, of course, how actual change happens. So anyway, the reason it's interesting that the Aristocats was not produced under the Hayes Code is that is why we have the first... Did it, did, did it come it over the wire? Stepdad status? <laughs> this is the first step parent, I guess the first good step parent, of course, right. in a Disney movie, in a stepdad and a single mother, what? which absolutely would not have been acceptable under the Hayes Code. I was mm-hmm. reading about this, how Lady and the Tramp, they could only have children after they are living in the same residence together, implying some kind of marriage with puppies that look like them. <laughs> the Aristocats, not only do we not find out what happened to Duchess's original husband, husbands, mm-hmm. uh, father of her children. Right. But also because the kittens are different colors, this would not be acceptable under the Hayes Code because it implies that she may have had multiple previous partners. <laughs> Absolutely unacceptable. And yeah, of course, Thomas O'Malley at the end is an, is a stepfather. And yep. That's, that's a first. So... That's kind of interesting. I, I mostly I thought it was funny. You know, we were talking about the lady in the tramp. Like, how come the kids have to look like the parrot? Hayes code. <laughs> <laughs> it's a Apparently. weird thing. So the Aristocats is released in December 1970. Did quite well. 
And it became the most popular British film of 1971 because, you know, theatrical windows were a lot longer in those days. Mm -hmm. It was also the most popular film in France in 1971 Mm -hmm. on Han Han Baguette Eiffel Tower. (laughs) And it it did well in other countries as well. And it did here in the good old U.S. of A. And it made quite a bit of money and it was very critically well received. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think just because like it does feel like a Disney film. And I think that's what a lot of people were worried about. And again, you know, it's been three years since the Jungle Book came out and you have no way to watch it on home video. Like maybe it comes on TV sometimes. Yeah. It's been even longer since 101 Dalmatians and Lady and the Tramp. They're not like us where it's like, you know, on Disney Plus, I could slip with my finger and click on a better version <laughs> of this movie. Yeah. You know, the access wasn't there. But yeah, this this film is still fairly well regarded. Mm-hmm. Uh, not for me, but <laughs> we'll talk about that now. Let's do it. All right. This movie does have one of the disclaimers at the beginning for the character that was mentioned previously. <laughs> Who at least doesn't come in until the end. Yes, uh, on Disney Plus, of course, it has the disclaimer, which, by the way, I found that uh, supposedly I heard a rumor. I read a rumor that the Disney Plus version may have an altered scene. And but when I tried to verify this beyond just a comment someone had left, I couldn't find it because if you look up like Aristocats Disney Plus or even any variation of that I could think of, all you find is stuff about the disclaimer. People talk about some people complaining that, you know, if you just have Disney Plus kids, they can't watch the Aristocats, which I don't know. It's fine. Yeah. They can watch Lady and the Tramp. <laughs> well, actually, I don't know if they can watch Lady and the Tramp. <laughs> they can watch uh, 101 Dalmatians. There you go. Yeah, it is a it is a smaller part of the movie than some of the other ones we've talked about with the disclaimer, like Lady and the Tramp or Peter Pan. So at least it has that going for it. Yes, absolutely. And I don't have any articles about it this week. You could go back and read the Siamese cat articles from the uh, 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 Lady and the Tramp one. Still applicable. By the way, I have to say the comment where I saw that there was a change in the Disney Plus version. I did something I've never done before. I often start my research, as I assume you do, too, with the ridiculously thorough Disney wiki. I do frequently look at that. I did something this time that I've never done before, which is scroll down to the comments of the Disney (laughs) wiki. The most deranged human beings on the planet. It's true. It's true. There's a lot of bizarre comments. (laughs) Comments are so insane. I don't even I mean, like I'm looking here. One of the comments, December 23rd, 2018. I hate cats. They only eat, poop and sleep. They are no fun. (laughs) What does that have to do with this movie? (laughs) And then there are more than 25 hidden replies. And then the same person says, trust on this thread under the 25 hidden replies. Trust me, this is only one of the reasons why Aristocats is one of the worst movies of all time. (laughs) Like, what? And then there is somebody under that who has written out an incredibly long pitch for an Oliver and Company sequel (laughs) that they are posting here specifically because they think that the directors, I don't know what directors they mean, but some movie director Mm -hmm. at Disney, I guess, will see this pitch 
reach out to this fandom wikia user, <laughs> purchase the pitch from them, and make a sequel Weird. to Oliver and Company based on this incredibly long, no punctuation <laughs> <laughs> pitch for Oliver and Company. Again, demented. Absolutely demented. Do not read the comments on the Disney wiki. They will they will melt your brain. I had seen something that said that the racist lines from the Everyone Wants to Be a Cat song had been removed in like, I don't know if it was on the VHS version or just off of the um, soundtrack, you know, like on a Disney collect music collection release. They may have been removed from the soundtrack but they were not removed from the Disney Plus version. That's the only thing I saw about potential edits to the movie somewhere. Supposedly, there's a more violent scene uh, when Edgar is chasing everybody around at the end that eh. got cut. I, I truly don't know and yeah. don't care. Now I promise we can talk about the Aristocats. <laughs> we actually have a title song again, which we haven't had for a while. As you've already mentioned, the Aristocats, sung by Maurice Chevalier. Naturellement, the Aristocats. Yes. Uh, this is the worst song in the movie, I think. Well, <laughs> the next song is not too good either. This song is Sherman Brothers-y, though. Yeah. The music in this is what works for me above all in this movie. So, yeah, this is fine. And the credit sequence is kind of fun. It's colorful. We have these cute pencil animations. Yep, pencil animations, mostly of the kittens doing things. A lot of it's mm -hmm. stuff that you'll see later in the movie, but not all of it. And we actually get credits for all of the voice actors listed with their roles. Yeah, that's which true. we don't always get. Walt is dead. Workers can have a right now. They <laughs> can't have go. rights, but they can have a right. So how do you say mom status in French? I have no idea. <laughs> Le status de mom. There you go. There you go. Duchess has three kittens. Surprise. <laughs> yes. Duchess is a mom. As mentioned earlier, she's a she's a strong single mother. Yep. You've got to respect it. <laughs> um, and by strong single mother, I mean incredibly rich and pampered beyond belief. Yeah, she's an extremely pampered pet cat. <laughs> so we start off. It's Paris 1910. And Madame Adelaide is riding out uh, in her carriage with her cats, Duchess, with her three kittens, Toulouse, Marie, and Berlioz, which is apparently some one place I saw that's their birth order, which I'm like, they're cats. They usually come in a litter. <laughs> I don't Who think knows? it matters that they would have a... Madame Adelaide Bonfamille. Oh, that's right. good family. I forgot she's, that her last she's name is good family. Her, her name is Lady Good Family. Yes. She's a complete not. Most of the characters in this are non-characters, but mm. she is perhaps the least character of all. Yeah. We are also introduced here to a horse with a hat. Wait a minute. What is it? Johnny Fedora <laughs> and Alice Blue. It's it's reminiscent of our Make My Music episode. Yeah. The horse's name is Frufru. Yes, that's very unfortunate. <laughs> And Edgar, the English butler, is driving the carriage. Yes. Who I had completely forgotten he was the villain of this movie, because why oh. would you bother remembering that he's not very villainous at first. He he's just not. seems like pretty nice guy. I yeah. was like, this guy seems like a fun character. 
<laughs> and then he's the villain, and I was like, oh, that's what we're doing with this movie? <laughs> and then we meet another character who, I don't know if he's a non-character, but he comes to nothing. There's no particular reason for him to exist, but we're certainly glad he is, which is Charles Lane as George Oatcourt. <laughs> I think he's my favorite character. <laughs> he's the lawyer, but he's super old. Madame is also old. She kind of looks like Lady Tremaine with white hair a little bit, except she's nicer. Like she doesn't ever look mean. Edgar offers to take him up the up to the higher floor in the elevator. And he's like, no, I'll take the stairs. And he nearly falls down. It's like tons of I'm business. sorry, specifically, specifically what he says is last one up the stairs is a nincompoop. Yes, yes. Very important. <laughs> and then, of course, he nearly falls down the stairs many times. And there's lots of business with Edgar's suspenders. At this point, I was like, well, this is fun. I'm yeah. having fun watching yeah. this movie. And, and then and when he finally downhill. does get upstairs, there's a lot of these scenes that they're funny. And then when you think about them later, you're like, that kind of went on for a long time. <laughs> a long time. This this movie barely has a plot. And I like and I know that's what I was talking about with the Jungle Book last week, quote unquote, last week when, uh, <laughs> you know, I was talking about like, oh, what I like about this is it's a hangout movie and it's not too plotty, but what it has in its place is energy. Mm -hmm. And this opening part, there's a lot of energy in these meaningless, yeah. funny scenes. But I feel like the movie really loses that as we go along. And then you really start to think about how, wow, there's just nothing to hang on to here. The <laughs> characters are empty. The story is empty. Yeah. But but here, I mean, George is uh, he's, he's going up the stairs and then. There's, there, we're listening to music from Carmen, which yes. was Madame's favorite role. I suppose she was an actor of some kind an at some opera point. opera singer. They're dancing around. They're kind of flirty, the two of them, which is fun. Yeah, they are. And uh, she has called him here for a legal matter. And he goes, who yeah. do you want me to sue, eh? <laughs> this is the inciting incident, I feel like, of the movie is where she tells him she wants to leave all of her fortune to the cats for as long as the cats live. And then after the cats are gone, it will revert to Edgar and Edgar will care for the cats during the cat's lifetime. And then he'll get the money after. And George does not go. That's completely not. That's nothing. You can't do that. That's insane. Well, of course not, because he's a loon. <laughs> to be honest, what I kind of assumed George was doing was Yep, definitely leaving it to the cats. All my money to George. <laughs> I don't think George is outliving her. <laughs> Fair. Fair. I mean, I, it. What at what point is a lich living? Uh, okay, so this inside against it. It's very dumb. It's and, very bad. And Edgar overhears through a speaking tube that is left open. And he is extremely dumb because he thinks that the cats will outlive him because he's like, if each cat has nine lives, so then he's like stacking the nine lives on top of each other rather than, you know, the kittens are not going to live one after the other. Right. <laughs> you know, whatever. He, he apparently is extremely bad at math, which, you know, kind of a poor choice for a butler. 
up to this point, he has been smart and capable and, yeah. you know, reacting to the chaos around him. And this is all based on him being the dumbest person who's ever lived. Yeah. So he's like, well, I have to get rid of the cats then. So there, there's two things I want to say. Number one, this is a really dumb way to make Edgar the villain of this mm. movie. And I feel like you could have come up with a better reason for him to want to hurt the cats, such as he just doesn't like cats. Yeah. Or maybe he's allergic. Yeah. Or, you know, some Cruella thing where he's got money. For, I mean, Cruella is ridiculous, but like, mm-hmm. OK, sure. You you get what she wants with Edgar. First of all, yes, it's all based on this terrible math. Second of all, cats can't spend money, dude. Like yeah. the way it works when you, quote unquote, leave your money to your pets is you have a caretaker uh-huh. and it's going to be you uh-huh. and you can spend the money on whatever you want because uh-huh. they're cats. Uh-huh. You spend, you know, X what amount you of money. Need, to- yeah, you can you can keep the cats in the manner to which they are accustomed, which, you know, is pretty fancy and still have tons of boodle left over for yourself. Exactly. And live in the mansion and then and get your own butler. Right. And not for nothing. If you're already committed to cat murder, kill the cats then when (laughs) nobody cares. Like once Madame is gone, nobody's really going to be inquiring after the cats. Uh That is when you do your cat kidnap. Instead, he, he seems to think that if he gets rid of the cats now that the fortune will then revert to him even though Madame is alive and not in any sort of ill health, seemingly. Yeah. You know, it's it doesn't. Right out the bat, this movie does not make any sense. It's and true. it makes sense in a way that I find more annoying than charming, which, again, you know, maybe a bit of that is the lack of nostalgia blinders. But mm-hmm. I don't know. The other thing I have to say about this, and I'm just going to say this once and I'm going to get over with. But for me, it hangs over this whole movie. This movie is very classist. Yeah, of course, because it's called the Aristocats, like it's all about posh, super rich cats and posh, super rich people. And the one guy in the movie who, you know, he's a servant, he could remotely be called working class. Mm -hmm. He's the bad guy. Yeah. And I don't like that. And Mm -hmm. I don't like rich people. And I don't like movies that make rich people seem like people rather than ghouls. (laughs) So. That is a problem I have with this whole movie, as opposed to 101 Dalmatians, like until the very end, Anita and Roger, you know, they're just like living in an apartment. Yeah, basically they're normals. And like there are other people in it who are not rich mm-hmm. or middle class or whatever and are OK. You yeah. know, yeah. like we're not we're not looking down at the one working class person. And obviously he has to be evil mm-hmm. and obsessed with money. Well, I mean, all of the other cats besides Duchess and her kittens are lower class as well. Alley cats are definitely the lower class. Yeah. And the whole song at the beginning, that's all just talk about, like, it's great to be an aristocrat. It's mm-hmm. and the whole thing. I'm not going to say like this movie is outright problematic or, you know, violent mm-hmm. enemy of the the, <laughs> the proletariat. But like it leaves a bad taste in my mouth mm-hmm. in 2021. And there's there's just no way around that for me personally. And if there is a way around that for you personally, that's OK, because <laughs> that's what we talk about on this show is very subjective opinions. Yep. So the next scene has the. Uh, other song by the Sherman brothers called scales and arpeggios, 
where we're seeing that the kittens each have a talent that they are trying to improve. So Toulouse paints and Marie sings the song and Berlioz plays the piano for her. Right. And that is about as much character as these our protagonists have. Yeah. Marie and Berlioz are the ones who fight the most of the three kittens, like with each other. Yes. Marie, I feel like, is probably the most beloved character from this movie. Yeah, I think she probably is. She's definitely the most represented. Um, While they're doing these practices, Edgar is putting his plan into motion by putting a bunch of sleeping pills in some cat food that he calls creme de la creme a la Edgar. Mm -hmm. Creme de la creme a la Edgar. I do really like his voice. Yeah, he has a very good voice. Before we move on too much, I did want to ask what you think of the Scales and Arpeggios song. Uh, I always thought it was a little annoying because the Marie is so bad at it. <laughs> yes. Um, so it was never one of my favorite songs, mainly because I don't love listening to her being off key. It's not a terrible scene. It's OK. It It's, you know, it's silly and the song isn't terrible. It's just the execution it's not my fave. I agree. I think it's a good song on mm-hmm. its own. Once the real singer uh, who plays Duchess, not Ava Gabor, uh, a woman named Robbie Lester. Yeah. Once she starts singing, you're like, OK, this is actually a good song. I mean, it's a Sherman yeah, yeah. Brothers song. It's a clever idea, you know, where it's scales and arpeggios mm-hmm. is the name of the song and what they're singing about. And of course, it's what they're also singing. Yeah. But yeah, I agree that the little kid singers, whenever Marie gets involved with singing, mm-hmm. it's quite annoying. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I do appreciate Edgar. Prepare creme de la creme a la Edgar. He is pouring an impossible number of sleeping pills to the point that I thought he was trying to poison them. He's apparently just trying to put them to sleep. Yeah. But I think that's too many sleeping pills. I don't (laughs) think it's I think he's going to put them to sleep forever. Right. Right. Overkill. It also, you know, it's a it's a classic Disney villain thing to be like, I need to put them asleep and then kidnap them and then dump them somewhere to die rather mm-hmm. than just I'm going to, you know, put them in a sack and dump them in the river or whatever. Right. You know, yeah. and he, it, it's a t- not to be morbid, but it's not that hard to kill a cat. Edgar <laughs> is overthinking this. <laughs> He's very bad at it. This is also where we meet the mouse Roquefort, who's voiced by. Sterling Holloway. Yes, He's Professor Holloway himself. Friends with the cats. It's it it in this particular scene where he's in it, you kind of feel like, why? But he does <laughs> more stuff later. The character. Barely. Barely. I mean, you could you could probably cut that character out of the movie and lose nothing, except that you would lose Sterling Holloway, who yeah. despite the fact that he doesn't have a role to play in a meaningful sense, is always doing his best. Yeah. He never phoned it in. <laughs> but yeah, Roquefort. I actually like, this is probably my favorite scene of his where he's talking about how he must have a cracker with his yeah, milk. Yeah, I yeah. find it endearing. Rather than after this where he's just not helping <laughs> with the plot. Yeah. That's mostly what it does for this movie is not help. <laughs> <laughs> so, of course, once they fall asleep, Edgar puts them in a basket in his motorcycle. He's got a motorcycle with a sidecar. And he drives off with them. The music in this scene is going to be reused in our movie next time in Robin Hood. This movie either has the most reused score so far or 
maybe I I'm just later movies use it more. Yeah. yeah. But either way, almost every uh, song in this, except for the stuff that is specifically trying to sound French, mm-hmm. uh, I feel like I've heard elsewhere. Mm-hmm. But we do not get what do we do? We do not, surprisingly. Which I'm, I do believe will come back in uh, in Avengers Robin Hood Infinity War. <laughs> I believe it Thanos does. Thanos will return. Anyway, <laughs> now we meet the worst characters. Oh, you think so? Yeah, I, I know so. <laughs> They are two hound dogs, Napoleon and Lafayette, and they appear to be living on this farm. And Napoleon is the just regular hound and Lafayette is a basset hound. So he's small. And Napoleon is apparently very good at listening (laughs) like his ears are something special because he can tell exactly what's coming and they like to chase vehicles so when they hear edgar approaching on his motorcycle they chase him and a whole big actiony sequence ensues napoleon is played by pat buttram mm-hmm. uh it was his professional name maxwell emmett buttram his birth name who uh was best known for being in the television series green acres he will come back as the sheriff of nottingham and he mm-hmm. had a voice that in his own words Never quite made it through puberty. <laughs> I like that that's how he described it. Yeah. Uh, and, and Lafayette is George Lindsay, who uh, was Goober Pile on the Andy Griffith show. And he, he was kind of in stuff. Uh, was he in other Disney movies? I, I, well, I, I think he does do Trigger in Robin Hood. Yes, he's Trigger. Yes, yes, Because yes. it's, it's the pairing of them feels so much like what we're going to have right. next time. Anyway, uh, I don't like these characters. They're so they're they're just so slow. Again, it's like they're nominally funny, Mm -hmm. but their main bit is, you know, Lafayette will say something and Napoleon will be like, "Ah, I'm the leader. (laughs) I get to say the thing. And then he waits for he waits for four and a half hours while he thinks about it. And then just when you think that you're going to die of starvation, that's when he (laughs) says, all right, we're going to do the thing you said. Hey, you've you haven't seen this joke in a thousand other movies and TV shows, right? <laughs> <laughs> Including other Disney movies already released. <laughs> I do not like these characters. I do not find them funny. The end. I found them OK funny, but not like hilariously funny. So the next day, of course, the cats wake up and you know there's some time of trying to find all of them gather together and what shall we do which is you kind of feel like this is where the song should be the what'll we do but it wasn't there wasn't there uh yes and madame is alarmed and roquefort is alarmed again the slowness of this movie we gotta check it with every single character to let you know that we miss the cats i have to say of the uh aristocats uh-huh my my favorite one is definitely to lose. Yeah. And that kind of starts here where he knows it was Edgar. He feels like he has the most personality where not only does he just want to paint, but he mm-hmm. like he's kind of quiet, but he sees and hears yeah. more than he's his interested. siblings who are constantly he's interested fighting in being an alley cat. Yeah, <laughs> he wants to be an alley cat. Uh, I, I of the cats, I like him the most. Um Berlioz doesn't have a lot to do. Duchess has nothing to do. And Marie, well, uh, 
Marie's been okay so far, but this is where it gets weird. Here comes Thomas O'Malley, done by Phil Harris. Big case. O'Malley the alley cat. Yes, he has to introduce his entire self in a song. Terrific song. It's not my favorite, but I really like this scene. And I couldn't tell if it's like, to what extent is this a good scene? And to what extent is it, oh my word, Phil Harris is here. This movie has any <laughs> life in it whatsoever. Yeah. Good Lord, this is an oasis in the <laughs> desert. Because we've really skipped over that uh, that scene with the cats, like realizing they're in trouble and they're sad. That's another scene that feels so mm -hmm. long. And, and then again, Phil Harris, it's like, mm. oh, thank you, Baloo, come back yeah. to the movie. And one thing we haven't mentioned is, uh, kind of famously, mm -hmm. I think, the character animation in this movie is terrific. Yeah. This is still a decently budgeted uh, Disney production. We're still using the Xerox method. And I, I feel like especially the character animations, which a lot of that is Ken Anderson's mm -hmm. magic, are really good. I really like the cat acting. They really know how to make animals mm -hmm. do things yeah. at this point. And still look like the animals and not like, you know, noodle creatures. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And uh, we get a lot of that in this fun scene because obviously the Phil Harris character is going to get the most love from mm -hmm. the animators, I feel like. They have the yeah. most fun with him because he's not prim or proper at all. He is, in fact, I mean, he's he's Tramp. He's Tramp yeah. and Baloo. He Baloo is. I feel like he's a little worse than Tramp in some ways because he immediately, of course, is flirting with Duchess. But once he realizes she's got kids, he's like, I'm out of here. And that feels yeah. a little skeezy. <laughs> but then he does That's immediately like get on his own case. He's like, what does he say to himself? He says, you're not a cat, you're a yeah. rat. So he immediately realizes I was a horrible person just now because I said I would help Duchess. And then when I found out she's got kittens, I'm like, nope, I'm not helping you get back to Paris at all. See ya. <laughs> so this is the thing. Baloo is not the main character of the Jungle Book. Not even close. In fact, what's fun about Baloo, the reason you love him, is because he is constantly trying to derail the plot of the Jungle Book. <laughs> yeah. They obviously want this character to be Baloo-like because he was the huge breakout star, and rightly right. so. But... Then he also has to be the responsible, really, I mean, kind of the protagonist of the film. Yeah. It's it doesn't balance it as well. Phil Harris is better when he can be more fun and silly and like, you know, a little bit skeezy because Baloo is a little bit a little skeezy. Bit. He's irresponsible. Yeah. He's not really a good influence. Obviously, he has a heart of yeah. gold. But he could he could get away with more than than Thomas O'Malley, to be sure. And so that's why he has to be both. The person who is, you know, just trying to flirt and the person who talks himself out of flirting. It's <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a it's throughout this movie. It doesn't feel as fun as Baloo for that reason, mm -hmm. because they, they choose to make him the protagonist. Yep. But I do like that Duchess is as interested in him as she is in her from the it's beginning. True. They are like. I, I honestly feel like she's like, if we were not in mortal peril right now. Yeah, we could. <laughs> <laughs> yes, but. Honestly, if my kids weren't in mortal peril right now, we could <laughs> Exactly. Me, whatever. But I have these kids. <laughs> we need to get back to Madame. 
So he stops a truck for them to ride back to Paris. That during this part where they're riding in the car, in the back of the truck, I mean, a duchess speaks what sounds like a song. And it was apparently originally intended to be a song called She Never Felt Alone. And I believe that was also written by the Sherman brothers. But I think so. again, it's it's just spoken and it's very short. So I don't even know if it's the whole song, what she does. Um, it feels a little odd because when you're hearing it, you're like, this feels like it's it was a song <laughs> that they're not singing. But I don't know why, because they have somebody who can sing doing the singing voice of Duchess anyway. So I don't know. It's a weird decision they made, and I don't know why. Again, this movie feels recut <laughs> and reshot and changed and messed with all the yep. heck. Also, so yeah, so the, the, the reason that he comes with them is because he has to save Marie. Uh, here, yes, here's where be- we get into everything they're doing. Marie Bad. falls off or is almost dying and has to be saved over and over by O'Malley. Yeah, even even worse. So that's bad. I mean, that's mm-hmm. sexist, but even even worse and maybe even more sexist than that, or at least more troubling is that Marie is really into Thomas O'Malley. No, see, I don't think and she's I, into him like for herself. I never interpreted it that way. She is into him for her mother. I always thought. Well, she does have the line about like, do I have sapphire eyes? Yeah, but I think that's. I want to be beautiful like my mother, not uh, I want you to be into me. (laughs) I like your interpretation. Let's go with it. (laughs) Yeah, I I think my interpretation is the right one Um, because because she's like, oh, he's what the, the things he's saying to my mother are so romantic. Oh, they should totally get together. (laughs) <laughs> Either way, though, even if you're right, it is lame that Marie, who up to this point has been a little firecracker, yeah. right? Like, you know, ladies don't start fights, but they will finish them. <laughs> now, for most of the rest of her movie, her main thing is I now think she's that this the, guy and is she's so the damsel cool. in distress. Those, yeah, very disappointing mm-hmm. for a character that is still well liked, but could have been much mm-hmm. more fun and. Probably in a modern context, we we would do more with this. Yeah. But uh, not in 1970. Okay, I said I wasn't going to talk about the classism more, but (laughs) I will note that this cab driver who they run into a couple times and who just doesn't want to get a cat thrown into his Mm. face, you know, he's annoyed with them for a very reasonable reason, Mm -hmm. and he, like, throws them off the truck uh, you know, because he doesn't want them stealing the the product that he's presumably responsible yeah. for not being contaminated by cats. And we have to have this whole thing about like Duchess is like, what a horrible, horrible human. <laughs> I never could have known that such awful, poor people exist. <laughs> it's like, OK. Hmm. All right, Duchess. And Thomas O'Malley is like, yep, poor as deuce. <laughs> I know that's not exactly what he's yeah. saying, but. The movie is called The Aristocats. It's textual <laughs> to some extent. Uh, and then, OK, I apologize because I did say that the, the characters earlier were the worst. But now <laughs> come the worst characters. Yeah, I was surprised you said you didn't like the, the dogs. You're right. I'm sorry. <laughs> there are many awful characters in this bad yep, film. So, but. of course, they are 
crossing a bridge, a train bridge, and the train comes and they're hiding under the bridge and Marie has fallen in the river. So O'Malley has to go <laughs> rescue her. Mom, girls can't walk. <laughs> you know that. Yes, nor can they hide under the bridge, apparently, <laughs> with everybody else in the family. Well, no, they're uh-huh. girls. So she's floating down the river. He goes to rescue her and he gets her out. And then he's having a little trouble getting out. And we meet these two geese, Abigail Ooh. and Amelia, who are these Annoying. twin sisters from England. They're on a walking tour of France and they uh, rescue O'Malley. These are the characters who are voiced by the same actresses as are going to uh, be in Robin Hood. Yeah, you mentioned that. Monica Evans and Carol Shelley. Yes. And they rescue O'Malley sort of after giving him like swimming advice. He doesn't appreciate him. But then they end up leading the group to Paris after they get him out. And it's like, why are we all going together? And the main joke with these characters is that they laugh at their own jokes a lot. Yeah. Or at things other people say, which is it a joke? <laughs> An annoying laugh existing is not a joke. Yeah. Yeah. That's all. The the what the only thing that kind of I don't know, again, makes this okay is Phil Harris is really mean to them. <laughs> O'Malley completely hates him, which, again, feels maybe a little too edgy for our romantic lead. Yeah. Our romantic cat lead. Yeah. Um, but who's supposed to be an alley cat with a heart of gold. Yeah. But when he's being mean to the geese, I'm like, yeah, I'm with you. This sucks. I hate how much. <laughs> and it, this is so much of the movie with these geese. And mm-hmm. another thing you could just cut out. Because all they do, as you say, they just walk to Paris together. Yeah, and it's you're not like, like they help. O'Malley walk to is Paris. supposedly knows the way to Paris too, so you're not really sure why they have to be there. I'm not. I don't know. It's another one of those things where it's like I'm not really sure what you were doing with the story here, but okay, nothing. <laughs> nothing yeah. is what they're doing with the story, and the story is nothing. Here's a drunk goose. Yes, yeah, so they are going to meet their uncle Waldo in Paris and when they do meet him he is very drunk and they talk about him being marinated so then the geese all leave yes they a lot of this movie is talking about how funny or exciting something is to convince you that something funny or exciting has happened bill thompson you know he's he's pretty good mm-hmm. he's of the geese he's better but you're still just like what are we doing I mean, I guess they wanted to have more amusing side characters, kind of like they have in 101 Dalmatians, where they travel along and meet different people on their route. I guess you could say that would potentially be why they pulled them in. Yeah, or again, or Jungle Book. But these Mm -hmm. characters just aren't very funny. Uncle Waldo is funnier. Yeah. Because being drunk, though not the most clever joke, is more of a joke than annoying goose laugh. (laughs) So then we have the longest scene in human history. This is my (laughs) least favorite. They may not be my least favorite characters, but this is my least favorite scene. This bit where Edgar, for inexplicable reasons, decides he needs to go back and get the evidence that's in some farm and has further business with Napoleon and Lafayette. And it's so long. I think I'm still (laughs) watching this scene. (laughs) One thing I saw said that they added this scene because... 
They thought the first scene with Edgar and the dogs was so funny, they should have more of it. That's what they thought. <laughs> but it's the music is, I think I was writing it down as Edgar's sneaky music theme. <laughs> Edgar's doing a criminal thing again. So we have that theme. Just excruciating. It, it does go on for quite a while. For each one minute you watch of it, two minutes are added to the end. So then back to Paris. Thomas O'Malley is going to take the... I believe you mean Abraham DeLacy. Yes. <laughs> Thomas O'Malley. And sometimes he calls himself J. Thomas O'Malley, which I'm like, where's the J coming in? Giuseppe. <laughs> Giuseppe, which starts with a G. But he does. There's once or twice where he calls himself J. Thomas O'Malley. The J in Abraham is silent. I don't know. <laughs> I, I think he just has more names. Yeah, it's possibly true. They do have a fun joke, I guess, where Duchess comments that his names are from every country in Europe, practically. Yes. Um, which Western Europe, but okay. And he's like, yep, because like if he was a dog, he'd be a mutt, but he's a cat. So he's he's from all over the place. Giuseppe Casey, Christophe Alexi. <laughs> Pavel Andre. <laughs> there you go. Both uh, like Casey and O'Malley. Those are both considered like Celtic names. Yeah, it's it's not mm. actually that all over Europe, but we're having fun. Yeah, uh, it had yeah. to rhyme and have good meter and it does. But so yeah, he's taking them somewhere. to his pad, his penthouse, quote unquote. Oh, we're here already. I mean, what else are you going to say about that other scene you don't like? It, yeah, that's the thing. It feels like, <laughs> wow, we're here already, but it's just. When you don't have to experience this in real time, this movie is very short. So little <laughs> happens. Okay. Yes, we're going to go back to his pad. Yep. But uh, Scat Cat and his, his gang of musicians are there. and Jamming. This is my favorite scene in the movie. Yeah, it's a good scene. I watched it again. Uh -huh. after, like uh, uh, just while doing the research for this, I just wanted to watch it again. And I, I appreciated it even more almost divorced of the context of the movie. Like this is just a really kind of terrific little short. The yeah. song, of course, is a blast. There's a reason it's everybody. The main reason that what people remember about this movie is the song everybody is because it's he wants song. to be a cat. Yeah. It has a lot of movements. The animations are great. All of the characters they do a lot asterisk. of silly color changing things. Right. The colors in this are almost pink elephants. Like, yeah, uh, uh, the, it's the most surreal visuals we've had in a while or three. Yeah, apparently jazz causes surreal visuals. Yes. <laughs> Scatman Brothers <laughs> is great. Again, the energy of it, the fact that like. It's not just one song, you know, it's like the yeah. song has many different movements. It speeds it up, it slows down. Yeah. The one bad thing about it is Paul Winchell is Shungan, who is a, a very, <laughs> very, very offensive, stereotyped Chinese cat. Really yeah. awful art. Who also has one line in the song where he just says like a bunch of Chinese things. Like it's just like chopstick, Hong Kong, egg foo, yeah. Like, yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's bad. It's very bad. And it's like, why? Why him? Because the other cats are named things like Russian cat, Mexican cat or whatever, you know, and they right. let me let me lay it out for you. We got hit cat, an English cat. We have Peppo, an Italian cat. We have Billy Boss, a Russian cat. Uh, and again, you know, and we have Scat Cat, of course, who's uh, 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 from New Orleans, I guess. But right. Don't worry about it. 
like you know other than that (laughs) yeah other than that we're staying you know in in europe which we've talked a lot about how this movie is in europe these other stereotyped characters none of them have horrible lines like you don't have the russian cat (laughs) going you know snow borscht (laughs) the tsar you know No, exactly. What's funny about it is that's how absurd it is to be like, of course, what Chinese people do is they just scream the names of Chinese things. He definitely says fortune cookie, too. Yeah, whatever. (laughs) Yeah, it doesn't make any sense. But otherwise, otherwise, a terrific scene. So and I love the ending of it where they're <laughs> the song really speeds up and they're just yelling everybody everybody jumping up and down the piano crashing it through the floors of the building yep, yep. running all the way down <laughs> with all the broken bits of instruments wearing the piano keys like a bandolier it's so again the the word i keep coming back to with this movie is energy this mo- uh-huh. this scene is so fun it has so much energy yeah it's terrific i adore it even even the fact that Marie sings in it and Duchess stops the whole thing in its tracks to do a harp solo cannot cannot <laughs> hurt it for me. Yeah, at least the harp solo bit is short. <laughs> yes. Uh, and this scene ends also when they're walking off with the instruments. They like we we back up the camera. They're silhouetted and we see the Eiffel Tower in the background. Mm-hmm. It's just a gorgeous moment. Yep. This is where. It seems like in this scene, I was thinking it seems like Duchess is more coming on to O'Malley than him coming on to her even. Yep. And but then she's like, but we have to go back to Madame. She loves us. She misses us, I'm sure. Which you feel like this is trying to be the scene in Lady and the Tramp where they've had the whole adventure. And the next morning he's like, stay with me, see the world. And she's like, but who will take care of the baby? And that scene just works so well. And they did not get it right in this in Aristocats. <laughs> Absolutely correct. This is so the well, it's worse because it's that plus this is the scene where she's saying we have it's the second act. Now we have to be split up for a bit and you have to believe that you're not going to stay with us, which is like. Of course he's going to stay with you. Your right. owner is a crazy cat lady with the yeah. largest house in France. And beyond the logic in the movie itself, like outside of the movie, the logic for us watching it, we're like, we know you're not going to be separated. And again, Lady right. and the Tramp, she has a fairly valid reason to be mad at him. You buy it and yeah. she's mad at him. It's not just like, oh, this cannot be. It's, you know, my feelings have changed. Yeah. So they arrive back at home and Edgar has locked the cat door, presumably because he thinks they're gone forever. Who knows? Whatever. They try to get in. They're meowing. Edgar hears them, catches them and pops them in a sack so that he can get rid of them. Uh, Roquefort, the mouse, hears them as well. And this is where he's been a couple of times in the movie trying to stop Edgar, but they... He's he's completely ineffectual. <laughs> right. All the posters list Roquefort as like the big cheese detective, the mouse who's going to. And he does have his cute little Sherlock Holmes outfit. But yeah, he doesn't do anything until this point. Right. Where he's trying to warn the, the cats about Edgar, but he is incapable of doing it. Um, but then 
after Edgar has caught them, he goes to get O'Malley and he tells O'Malley, you know, that he needs to go rescue Duchess and the kittens. And then O'Malley sends him to go get the alley cats, which is one of those. Yes. So now we're just setting up some humor of the mouse has to go and convince the cats. Whatever we got to do to get Scat Cat back into the movie. Right. And to give Sterling Holloway something to do. So now Edgar's plan is to mail the cats to Timbuktu because he's still an ineffectual villain and cannot figure out that, you know, he should maybe just kill them. We don't really want him to kill them, but, you know, but anyway, so he's going to he's going to put them in a he puts them in a trunk and he's going to mail that trunk to Timbuktu. He calls some drivers to come pick up the trunk and then. There is a giant battle scene in the stable, which I do kind of like this scene, too. I mean, the stuff with George is still my favorite because he just cracks me up. But yeah, that's for fair. a big action sequence. This is probably my favorite action sequence. And I actually remembered this scene. Not completely, but I did remember this scene pretty well. See, I, I feel like I don't even remember this scene now. I honestly <laughs> don't think I could tell you. The order of events in it, except well, I can't for tell you the full order, but when Roquefort is opening the trunk and he's not able to concentrate and he yells quiet and everyone, including Edgar, stops freezes. Yes, it's so funny. It's just a silly, silly moment. Those sociopaths on the Disney wiki I saw there's like on the Disney wiki, it's like, uh, you know, goof. Yes. When the alley cats <laughs> fight Edgar, Roquefort orders everyone to be quiet. Even Edgar stops. This is strange since Madame Bonfamy and the other humans can't understand it. And it's like, it's a joke. I don't know if it's you know a what joke. joke is. I know. This movie is basically the jokes. Like, right. if it's if it's funny, they're going to do it, even if it doesn't make sense plot wise. Or even if they if they think it's funny. And it's funnier that they're breaking the rule like right, that exactly. they established makes it more surprising and more funny. And of course, it ends with Fru-Fru the horse gets to kick Edgar into the trunk, which then bounces outside and is immediately picked up by the, I wanted to say movers, but postmen or something like that is what I should have been Right, thinking. and Edgar suffocates to death. Let, let's not beat around <laughs> the bush. Anyway, he he gets shipped off to Timbuktu. Who knows what happens to him? He suffocates to death in that trunk that did not have holes in it. Everybody is rescued. It's happy time. And Madame is so glad to have her cats back. And she's changing her will again. (laughs) Right. We we cut ahead in time. That's true. And uh, it's it's funny because Madame is like, Oh, yes, O'Malley is here now because there was never any reason for him not to be. And it's weird right, that we pretended like there was for a, bit. a family picture, just like at the end of Lady and the Tramp. Because it's not like they resolve the issue. They don't mm-hmm. really address, you know, why she adopted them. It really is just like, this is obviously what happens. Yeah. And then Madame is changing her will again to include O'Malley. And then also she's creating a foundation for the support of all alley cats. So you end with uh, the reprise of everybody wants to be a cat because Scatman Crothers and his whole band are in the, is it the kitchen (laughs) somewhere? Wherever they are, wherever they are in the mansion, in the house, they are playing the song again. Yep. And I guess they're just like constantly 
making crazy colors down there. And just, yep. it's it's total madness now in the Aristocat household. Yes. And the the horse joins in, which is a little weird. The horse mm-hmm. who's a species trader, I guess. Because <laughs> also sings everybody wants to be a cat. <laughs> and then the last joke, which is the one thing with Napoleon and Lafayette, I think I do kind of like where it's they do their funny. joke again about I'm the leader, I say when it's the end. And I think yeah. what makes it funny is the extra note of the text, the end flying in and hitting him. It hits him in the head. Yeah, because Lafayette goes, this sounds like the end. It's cute. It's cute. We're just showing you everybody again, just for funsies. And then the end. But you're just like, oh, no, the goose aren't going to say anything, are they? <laughs> like, that's the thing. It should be like, you know, a, a curtain call of these are all the characters you loved. And it's like, yeah, you cut away from the one character I love. Go back to Scat Cat. And the, the non-racist members of his game. And that's the end, which means it's now time for sequels, spinoffs, remakes, rides. And there's not that much to this. There one. really isn't. <laughs> <laughs> Um, at some of the parks, the kittens actually appear in the parks as walk around characters. Isn't that a funny thing of all the characters? From Horrifying. This movie. The, the Marie one. I saw a picture of the Marie one. She's actually pretty cute. She's the one who's most often seen. Occasionally at some of the parks, you see that her brothers, but it's mostly her at at Disney Springs, you know, which is what used to be called downtown Disney at Walt Disney World. I still forget that it's called Disney Springs. <laughs> They have a food stand called the Aristocrapes, which is a little <laughs> food stand where you can get, you know, crepes things that you can hold in your hand and eat like little snacks. <laughs> yeah, <Great. laughs> that's that's about it. Apparently, you uh, you could see Scat Cat and uh, a couple of his musicians. Not that one, though, at the parks. Yeah, like in parades or something or just like a performing location this is this is hot off the tick okay so in in the 1970s and 80s three of the alley cats recreated in the psychedelic colors of everybody wants to be a cat often appeared at disneyland and the magic kingdom Ah. scat cat was given bright orange fur peppa was made pink and hit cat was turned yellow eventually (laughs) these costumes were retired and the walk around representation of the film would focus solely on the three kittens there you go there as it were you go Mm mm-hmm Really, the the main spin-off, whatever, is you see the characters in House of Mouse. I mean, like right, with all which of I didn't these follow characters, up on. they really didn't follow up on any sequels or anything. They had there a- is also a uh, uh, talk about park stuff. Mm-hmm. There is Scat Cat's Cafe, I believe it is. There's some stuff at one of the resorts at Walt Disney World. Scat Cats Club. Yeah, at Scat the Cats New Orleans Club. Resort. Though I did see some of the things that were Aristocats related that were at that resort are gone now. So I wasn't sure what's actually still there. But I was disappointed. Uh, Scat Cats Club is still there, but okay. I was disappointed that it has like no Aristocats branding. Oh. Even the picture outside of the club is just this uh, nice looking trombone player. I can, I can send you uh-huh, a picture uh-huh. here. It's just a human trombone player. There's huh. like no cat stuff featured in it. And it's like, you're at a hmm. Disney resort. Like, let's not pretend what we're here for. <laughs> I, I want to see a, a grizzly animatronic Chuck E. Cheese looking cat <laughs> play the stage show. 
No, that's nasty. <laughs> <laughs> okay, somebody in a costume playing the stage. <laughs> the big sequel, planned but not released, The Aristocats right. 2, mm-hmm. was scheduled to be released in 2008, but like some of the other canceled sequels we talked about, as soon as John Lasseter took over Disney Animation, he was just like, nope. Nope, nope. Not nope, doing this. Nope. <laughs> I bet he had a nope stamp that he was just like, stamp, stamp, nope, nope, nope. And the uh, the Disney wiki uh, and, and the lunatics who run it has a complete like synopsis of what this film would be and a lot of material about mm-hmm. it. If you want to see like what it would have looked like. Long quote from the uh, person who would have been the director from it, a guy named Todd Carter, who is an animator on several Disney films we'll talk about and a director of several Big idea films, Veggie Tales, <laughs> Three to One Penguins. He's he's around that. He's gonna be the director of the Aristocats too, and even he talks about mainly what he talks about when he talks about this movie is how they had no time. <laughs> we felt the script still needed some work, but the schedule wasn't going to afford us the opportunity to rework the current version and still deliver the film on time and on budget. So a unique plan was hatched to deliver the first rough story real quickly and thus allow us some time at the end to schedule, to rewrite and fine tune the rest of the story a good deal. Yeah. The proposed time frame was four weeks. When I heard the suggestion, I said, okay, four weeks is tight, but I think we can get the first act done. Jim said, no, four weeks to do all three acts. (laughs) So they devised a new method they literally invented a new method of storyboarding mm-hmm. so that they could storyboard an entire film in four weeks. Wow. Uh, and then when it was done, he said the weaknesses in our story were apparent, but the overall quality of the reel was really quite good. In the end, I think we pulled it off in five weeks, which was remarkable. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he was, you know, he, he was like, yeah, they didn't give us time to make the story good, but we did deliver that real one time. And that's cool. Talking about the story itself, he says to make the Aristocats 2, we decided to distill the essence of the original film. In the first film, the kitten's nemesis was a misguided butler intent on stealing their fortune. The sequel created a similar dynamic. Wait for it. By pitting them against a jewel thief on the open seas aboard a luxury cruise ship. Oh, yeah, that's the same. (laughs) The exact same. Mm -hmm. The flavor of the film was sort of a mystery slash farce slash comedy. Mm -hmm. Don't think you need to say those last two. I think that's redundant. There was also a young kitty love interest for Marie, because what else would a female character do, Mom? Oh, yeah. Who who became the focal character of the film by singling out one character for the central story arc, as opposed to the original movie, singling out no characters. Mm -hmm. We could do a better job at strengthening the elements of the film. The original film takes place in Paris, but we didn't feel they exploited the setting, that's (gasps) his words, to its fullest potential. We want to adopt a European flair by filling our ship with a cast from places like France, Scotland, England, Spain, etc., thus creating a rich environment of both scenery and character in the era of the early 1900s. Very weird to be like, we could have done more with Paris. That's why we put them on a boat, not in Paris. (laughs) Our main objective, besides the mystery, was to make it completely fun. We worked hard to up the action scenes and create a level of high energy. Would have been nice. 
I really think this film was headed in the right direction. Doesn't sound like it. And with another pass, we could have gotten it right. But there are more important considerations in making films of any kind. Making sure you have an audience for your movie is paramount. Disney just felt that the Aristocats 2 was in jeopardy of falling through the cracks in a competitive marketplace. Mm. Yep. The other thing he talks about is that this was originally going to be a 2D film, but then they were going to make it 3D because in 2008, that's when Disney is going uh, all CG all the time. Yeah. 24-7. They've already released Meet the Robinsons and Bolt is coming out the same year. And they've also done Chicken Little. So, yeah, they're just giving up on 2D animation. So, like, on top of everything else, partway through, they were going to have to switch to 3D (laughs) instead of 2D. The other thing he says is that uh, the good news was that we pulled off our little experiment and succeeded in delivering a quality reel in record time. The bad news was that we had established a precedent of what could be accomplished at that time frame and the producers and budgeters at Disney had taken notice. (laughs) So because they met their impossible deadline, everyone else would have been held to that impossible deadline. Right. So there was uh, there was going to be there was an animatic for the film made where Marie provides narration. The countess, I guess, Madame is a countess now. Her diamond. She has like a big diamond that that's what's going to get stolen. Or, uh-huh. or is the countess another? Ca- I don't know. Who knows? I don't know. Ki- kind of interesting. Now, what I was thinking of for this segment is that you could almost say the Aristocats is kind of a spin-off or related to a different movie that came out with cats set in Paris called Gay Paris. Have you seen that one? No, I don't know anything about this. You don't know anything about Gay Paris? This is from 1962, an animated musical film produced by United Productions of America and released by Warner Brothers. I see. So it has a lot of songs in it. And right on the advertisement is it has Judy Garland because she plays the main female cat character whose name is Musette. And that is one of the songs. <laughs> so something important that you haven't mentioned is that it's gay P-U-R-R hyphen E-E. Yes. Per. per E. Because I will tell you this. All the names in this movie are cat puns. Go on. Musette is spelled M-E-W-S-E-T-T-E. And there's another cat named Meowrice. I will say I like this one better than Aristocats. Not that I... Yeah, for what that's worth. For what that's worth. It The animation is not anywhere near as good as Aristocats. I will put that out as well. But it is fun. It has good songs and it's very silly. And it's a cat movie set in Paris. So that's why I kind of think of them together. Around the same time. Yeah, because it's supposed to take place, you know, in the late 1800s as opposed to the early 1900s. But all the advertisement is all like Judy Garland, Judy Garland. Yeah, literally (laughs) this poster here. Vive la fun. Vive la joy. Vive la Judy. Yeah. Uh, And then under that is a tagline that uh, mentions... Judy Garland is first role. Then there's a giant, mm-hmm. the voice of Judy Garland in, and a picture of Judy Garland, in case you didn't know. And then Judy Garland <laughs> is also the final credits block. So just so you know, yep, Judy yep. Garland is in this movie. I mean, I like Judy Garland, yeah. but let's calm that. Let's get some <laughs> other, like I said, some other fun voices like Robert Goulet and Red Buttons. and Yeah, how do you think Goulet felt about this poster situation? 
Well, apparently this was his first movie, so. <laughs> oh, well, there you go. <laughs> so, you know. Hey, the Mellow Men are in this. That's a, they that's are. a connection. The Mellow Men sing in this, too. Yeah. Thorough Ravenscroft has a name role in both films. Mm. Great. That's. Yep. We yep. did it. Sequel spinoff. I mean, so, I, Disney it, it, may it's, well have it's, been inspired by this. Well, who the knows? Disney famously. Well, I don't know if they would have been because this movie was a pretty big flop. But but it had Judy Garland. It did have it had quite a bit. I mean, <laughs> Judy Garland. Yeah. Here's an alternate poster for this film. You might notice that the only image on it is a picture of Judy Garland. <laughs> Gosh, they the, yeah. the marketing team went all in on Judy. That was it. They Nothing did. Else. I mean, the reason why I feel like this one, this one has just some more. I don't I don't want to say adult themes because that kind of gives the wrong impression. But like towards the end, Musette is like considering leaping to her death from a bridge. You know, <laughs> there's just right. a lot of stuff going on in this animated movie. There's any edge to it at all. Which yes, the there's some edge. The Aristocats definitely is just all the all the corners are rounded. Not even like 101 Dalmatians has has more yeah, yeah. You know, viciousness, has more bite. Now we've come to the end of our program where we rate these movies not using a numerical scale, but by asking each other two questions. The first of which is, Mom, do you want to be a cat? <laughs> um, I don't know. Maybe. Not really. That's all that fur. As you say, it's very hot. <laughs> <laughs> See, I, I, I don't know. I feel like uh, I feel like cats got it made. I mean, I wouldn't have to know what a deductible was if I was a cat. That is true. That is you true. Just, you just have to know how to eat more or less. Mm -hmm. Get mm -hmm. to climb on stuff. Yeah. Seems Sharpen pretty your good. claws on things that yeah. you shouldn't. Yeah. I think I want to be a cat. Anyway, also, would you recommend this movie by any chance? Um, Maybe. I feel like. Qualified recommend. Qualified recommend. It's nothing. There's not. There's not much that's really bad in it, you know. Other than the one racist character, which is a very brief moment, and you still really liked that scene. Um, I do. That it was that he's in. Where I was like, mm, the racist characters are kind of taking it away from me a little bit. But totally okay. fair. Totally yep. fair. I want yep. to say I am not. <laughs> as much as I love that scene, it's a great piece of music and animation. Definitely do not want it to sound like in any way I'm defending that. Oh, of course not. But like you said, maybe if you're watching it not so close together to the other ones that it's so similar to, um, maybe it's better and a lot more fun. And when it comes to the second question, would you show this to a child? Definitely I would, because I think a kid might enjoy it more than us as adults, too. You know, they they might enjoy the humor more than we do. Definitely. And I, I think I must have shown it to you guys at least once, but we barely watched it when you were a kid, so. Yeah, I mean, we definitely, again, watched it as a kid in synagogue, so, you know, there's, there's that. Yeah, but that wasn't me watching it with you. No. Anywho's, I would not recommend this movie. I think it's very, very bad. I think that now that you do have the option to watch better versions of this, like, yeah, the, uh, when we were talking about Lady and the Tramp, and I don't, you know, want to say that like i don't want to act like lady and the tramp is an american masterpiece it's a movie with a <laughs> lot of problems and when we watched it i talked about consistently how empty it was and it is a very yeah. empty film 
But the other thing I remember saying about it is that it's charming. This movie to me has none of that charm. I don't care about any of the characters except the one who's Phil Harris. And I'm not like, oh, man, I think O'Malley is such a fun character. I'm just like, oh, it's Phil Harris. I like that. Yeah. Um, maybe Scat Cat, but you can't really call him a character. He's in two scenes and one of them right. is just and singing. Right. So it's totally empty. It also doesn't charm me. It made me laugh a couple times. And the music is like truly great Disney music. I mean, I, I do think mm-hmm. that the everybody wants to be a cat scene deserves to be remembered as well. Disney's great musical numbers. Uh, horrific racism aside. But yeah. Like, and the animation looks nice, but overall, I really despised the experience of watching this. I, I, <laughs> I didn't find it interesting or enjoyable, and it just reeks of cowardice. It reeks of what worked. Let's do it again. But certainly you could show it to a child. Uh, there's, again, <laughs> I, I like I said earlier, all the uh, corners are rounded off of this thing. Like, it's been totally childproofed. And uh, if if you're like my girlfriend and you watch it as a kid, you'll just come away being like, oh, the cats, little kittens are cute. Kittens playing a piano is a cute visual. And you won't think about how none of it makes sense or the the class implications or all the horrible things that we film critics like to think about to just ruin a movie and uh, make it totally impossible to be enjoyed for ourselves. Well, that's going to do it for us this week. I want to shout out, as always, the mailbag. If you have a question for us on any Disney uh, property of any kind, animated, live action, we take any Disney related question. Heck, we'll even take some that are not so Disney related. If you have anything you want to say to us, your question may be featured on the show. As with the mailbag episode that uh, you can catch in our podcast feed. It's the one right before this one. We had a good time doing that. And you can send those questions to the mailbag at memommouse at gmail.com. That's M-E-M-O-M-M-O-U-S-E at gmail.com. <laughs> and if you like the show, please come back next week for 1973's Robin Hood. What do you think of that movie, Mom? Sheriff, I make the rules. <laughs> <laughs> That's your used to know. Oh, well, you know, <laughs> that's as good as it gets. I'm not good at uh, impressions. Oh, you probably get your goodness at impressions or lack of it from me. <laughs> if only there was someone else who was good at silly voices who could who could help us out with the Robin Hood episode. But that seems unlikely. Yeah. Until then, I'm me. I'm mom. And it all started with a mouse. Oh, Baguette Eiffel Tower, Gerard Depop. <laughs> <laughs>